Hi, this is Roger McGuinn, and my favorite station is WMNF, Tampa, Florida. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today's guest is Tom Reese, talking about shoreline restoration. And we have a treat today. Our host is myself, Annie Ellis, and our former host, Tanya Vitovic. So close, Tanya Vitovic. <laughs> it's I, only I, been 15 I, years since we've been friends, Annie. And I just started saying her first name right. So there's that. <laughs> but uh, I'm thrilled to death that she's here. What a coincidence that Kenny was sick and she was able to come in. She was just going to come visit. And now she's able to man the computer, which I don't like to do. <laughs> Y'all are stuck with me for the next hour. So I thank love you. it so much. It's very fun. Very fun. So Irene uh, will be taking your calls. And Mr. Bill Grace, of course, is working the boards and doing all the other things that we flub up on. The marvelous Mr. Bill Grace. I'm so happy to see your face. Isn't he the best? Yes. I have my moments. You do. Many moments in a row. So let me let you know about Tom Reese. <clears throat> He's a nationally known ecologist. Oh, did I tell y'all that Kenny's still sick? And we are missing you, Kenny. So you just got to get well really fast. So that's it. Uh, so Tom Reese is a nationally known ecologist for more than 40 years of experience restoring natural systems in the SE. His work has garnered numerous environmental awards and resulted in restoration of more than 3,800 acres, that's a lot, of wetlands and coastal communities. He's a recognized expert in nature-based shoreline stabilization techniques, having implemented over 50 living shorelines in the Tampa Bay region. Wow, I'm so proud of you. Tom founded a nonprofit in 2003, which is known as Ecosphere Restoration Institute to advance restoration activities through innovative public-private partnerships. Tom graduated from the University of South Florida with degrees in biology and geology. Um, there's a lot here. I'm going to read a couple of things about you because he's the president founder of the uh, Ecosphere Restoration Institute uh, from 2003 to current, which is a long time, actually. And uh, he has a bachelor's degree in biology, minor in geology, USF bio. His uh, decades-long uh, career includes the design and oversight of more than 150 habitat restoration and stormwater retrofit projects, many at 37, which have been recognized with ind industry awards for design excellence. This extensive experience has made him an expert in habitat restoration practices, inclusive of living shoreline strategies, which is complemented by his professional experience with national wetlands inventory mapping, environmental permitting, and grant funding work. Currently, Ecosphere is working to plant 100 acres of seagrass statewide to help jumpstart the natural colonization of seagrass. In 2013, Tom Reese was recognized by the Environmental Law Institute with the National Wetlands Conservation and Restoration Award in Washington, D.C. That is impressive, Tom. I am so thrilled. I didn't you know, the, the grasslands is just a huge thing for the manatees, isn't it? Yes, thanks, thanks, Andy, for oh, that. So I appreciate good. it. But yeah, it's important because um, we've lost a lot of seagrass, especially on the East Coast, and that's, that's been an issue, and it's going to take a long time for it to just come in on its own. So by us planting 
acres of it, 100 acres, we can um, jumpstart that natural recolonization. Well, I'm, you know, if it's gone away and it's been that bad, is the reason for it going away and been that bad being fixed? It's being addressed, but it's going to cost a lot of money, like like billions. Because why? Because it's a lot of runoff and from farm fields and from development. And um, when we get a lot of flooding rains, the water management districts or even the core have to open up the flood gates. And so that gets a big slug, sometimes a very dark and dirty water. Mm-hmm. And if it's there for more than three weeks, then seagrass don't have enough light, they die. Yeah, it's the, uh, the, the sunlight deprivation that's killing them, isn't it? It is. And so by planting these now, that the water quality is back and hoping we don't, <clears throat> that they get some of this stuff fixed before that, um, we can get the grasses to start coming back. Are they making effort to get those some of those things fixed? Oh, they I are. Mean, the state is spending money on it, and literally millions, but unfortunately it's going to take a lot more of that. It's going to take a few years, like maybe a decade of that kind of spending right. to make a big difference. Right, because they're just chipping it away. Yeah, yeah. but they're doing that. Well, least. that's good news. Yeah. I'm, that was the first thing I thought of when I was uh, reading this about the, the seagrasses was like, well, unless you've solved the problem mm-hmm. to begin with, it's sort of moot that we just keep planting and they keep dying. So what is a living shoreline and why are these important? Well, living shoreline is is simply just a natural shoreline. If you've gone to any lake or shoreline along the bay, you'll see plants and all kinds of life there. The problem is something's changed. You know, either there's more runoff coming from the uplands and it's eroding, or there's more boat traffic or something that's causing energy at that shoreline that it can't handle it anymore. So now there's erosion and we're losing those ecosystem services there. So a living shoreline is to try and put back something natural. And unfortunately, a lot of the areas, especially in Pinellas County and a lot of places in the state, that natural shoreline is now a seawall, right? Oh, a, a vertical wow. wall. And there is no life at a seawall by mm-hmm. itself. And every wave that hits that has to either go up or down. And when it goes down, it resuspends the sediments and that makes the water dirty and harder for seagrass to grow. And so there are places where we need these vertical structures, but I would say 70% of the places that we have vertical walls, don't, we don't need them. Um, and so a living shoreline is to go back in those places, take the seawall out if you can, mm-hmm. and put something natural in that has resiliency. So if it does get overtopped with water or high tidal surge, when it, it's still there, that mm-hmm. seawall is very vulnerable. It looks hard and very solid, but you would get water over it multiple times, it'll come down. Yeah, it washes out too. I know people that have their own seawalls at their homes and it, eventually you have to have these things repaired. So that's interesting when you, I hadn't thought about that as the hard seawalls that were being built. Uh, that was to to remedy a situation, but they were ignorant to the fact of what it was going to cause in the long term, which is, I guess, a lot of the things that we have done in the past you know, it looks good in the moment, but we didn't know what the long-term issues were going to be. And I, I agree. So back in the 50s, when a lot of this was happening, they didn't realize this, just like you said. And and it's we know it now that there are better ways to do this, but they were just saying, hey, this works, right? right. And there, there's a hard structure, but it came at a cost. We lost that whole transitional zone where all the fish and wildlife live. It's just gone. And so if we can 
remove a seawall and plant, put a real living shoreline in, great. Some places, like I mentioned, you can't. So we can do stuff with the living seawall. So the wall's still there. It doesn't have full resiliency, but you can have ecosystem services. So we, we are putting projects in like that. That'll give you 20 years, maybe 30 years of ecosystem services while we figure out what we're going to do with sea level rise. What is ecosystem services? Well, it's just natural processes, but we call it ecosystem services when it benefits man or us, right? So, in other words, improves water quality. So, oh, okay. there's seagrass and there's fish there, which there, now there are more fish to catch for commercially important fish. And so, those are just natural processes that benefit humans. So, you can do um, different plantings along with the hard seawalls. You can. It's not the per- preferred method. Right, but, think. yeah, so you can do that. Oh, um, that's nice. And so, in some places like where the Eulalie restaurant is. Yes. We, oh, I love that guy. He's doing yeah. so many great things. Yeah, when we did that spring restoration there, we opened up the seawall, etc. I'm like, what can we do in front of the seawall? So we just, it's really deep there. We put rocks up, and as we came to the inner tidal zone, we put sediment bag in, so to speak, with sediments in it, Uh and covered it, and put the rest of the rocks, and then you could plant in it. Oh, because it would filter, too. It will filter, and now we have seven feet tall mangroves that are growing from the water up, and so you're not blocking your view shed, right? You can still see the river, but we have all these ecosystem services. There's fish there. We've caught... Over 33 different species of fish when before there was no life. Oh, it was a mess. Now, that area, I didn't know that you did that. That's fantastic. It's a beautiful spot, too. Now, that area was the water feed for the city of Tampa, wasn't it, originally? And then it just got so polluted, and then they changed the way they did it? Yeah, it wasn't so much polluted. There's two springs there, and that was a water source back in the 1800s. In fact, that's why that building, which is now the Eulalie Restaurant. It was a water place, right? Yeah, it was called the Waterworks Building. But as more people came here, it was cheaper to just drill a well. Okay. And then that Work waterfront was a working waterfront back in the 30s, and so that spring run was an impediment, right? You have to walk around it. Oh, I see. So they just piped it. And so back in 2013, somebody told me there's a spring there, and I'm like, there's no spring there. It's not even in the book. And so I went there. They didn't even know it was there. No. I think that happens a lot. Like I all throughout, right. there was um, where they redirected a lot of the springs or they lost track of all of these oh, natural yeah. springs yes. in the area. They don't even know where my so, water line is. <laughs> I just want to remind everybody, you're listening to Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today, we're talking with Tom Reese about living shorelines. And if you have any questions, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org. So I know you, so you're talking about living shorelines and you mentioned a little bit of what a living shoreline is so it's plants where the land meets the water but you also mentioned mangroves and so some people may not have a accurate idea in their head about what it is so can you explain what a living shoreline is what it entails kind of how it's beneficial and then what are the other options? Because you mentioned seawalls. And so what are seawalls? Are they like a stagnant vertical wall only? Or are they, sometimes you see rocks kind of just laying on the shore. Like, is that considered a seawall? So if you could get a little bit more detail on what those two things are. Okay. No, that's a great question. A seawall or bulkhead is a vertical structure, 
right? It's solid vertical structure. And sometimes people put some rock at the toe of that wall, which is a good thing because that way it takes the wave energy and doesn't resuspend sediments. With a living shoreline, it's not only plants, as you mentioned, whether it's herbaceous plants or trees like mangroves, it's really the slope. You want that gradual slope, nothing steeper than four to one slope, as we call it, or six to one is perfect, where that way as sea level rise, all the plants can crawl up naturally up the slope. When you have a vertical wall, nothing can crawl up that as far as the vegetation. So a living shoreline has two things. It has that gradual slope and has native vegetation in there. Um, and again, with mangroves, we don't want to lose our view shed. A lot of people, the first thing they ask me, does it work? And you think the next thing is how much it costs. No, what they're worried about is their view shed, that's right? Yeah, yeah. that's what and a lot of them You see all the mangroves out. getting cut down. That's and, exactly right. And yeah, there's, it is that meme that's going around on, on social media where it's like the person sitting there and he can't see the ocean. Mm-hmm. So he cuts all the mangroves down and then all of a sudden like he's running from the waves as right. he takes over his house. Right. <laughs> it gets a complete washout at I mean, that is point. Is that, I mean, that, that meme that's kind of going around, is that realistic? Like when you cut down that, is it going to affect, like, is it, is your soil going to get washed away? Is it going to affect that local ecosystem in your yard where the water is able to get it more? And it is true, actually. If you cut the mangroves completely down or down to a foot or two where they're not functional anymore, then now you've lost the protection that they uh-huh. provide because mangroves provide a lot of protection. Um, they do need to be a, a, a lot of width to it to really provide wave dissipation, but they can completely How annihilate well, it depends how much energy you have, right? Um, but you need at least 10 feet. Oh, 10 feet. Right? I was going to say six. Oh, but that's you, a lot. Even five that's feet. That's not that wide, though. I no. mean, that's the thing. When you think about as much shoreline as we have. Oh, yeah, That's totally. not, I mean, it, it seems like it could do a lot of, you know, a, a lot of good with not a lot of space. So people that have, you know, 100 feet of shoreline, how what percentage of their yard would benefit, like, in order to have a benefit? 10 feet. Like, didn't he just say? Well, yeah. 10 feet every how many feet, though? No, 10 feet width from wherever your water is. So All 10 the way feet down out. Oh, for the entire the whole line. On the so, whole length. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the deal. Like, you can't just have spots of it because then it'll find its way in the middle of those spots. It'll just wash out. So there's people that do have, a, like, 100 I mean, feet of shoreline. Like, could they do like 80% of the mangroves and have like areas where they could still access the water? Right, you can still access, you could do 100% and your dock can go right over. Yeah, they might not be growing as tall under the dock, so to speak. But yeah, you can have that whole thing. So even five feet, which is not, you know, the more the better, but Mm -hmm. five feet provides a lot of ecosystem services and it's starting to to protect your shoreline from wave waves, whether it's wind-driven or boat. And what do you mean by eco um, services? Again, it's just the, having the natural systems there, which is the plants, the fish, all that stuff, the crustaceans that are there, because that is, if you go out 100 miles offshore and you catch a big old grouper, well, that grouper was living on the, a shoreline right. in Tampa Bay when they were three or four inches long. Yeah. And a lot of that is gone. There's, they come in here and they sniff for that fresh water, the taste for it. And they go to it, and it used to be a creek, and now it's an outfall pipe. Well, all the predators will chew on them because there's no place to hide. Yeah. So they need you need to have that for the nursery system, uh, and then that the brackish is right at that edge. 
that's so interesting. I hadn't really thought about it, but of course that's the way it would be. And so for a wall, what are, are there any benefits at all for having a wall other than being able to see the, a view? The view. <laughs> well, it holds your shoreline, right? It does hold it, but it does it at an expense, right? Because we lost what we just were talking about, the ecosystem services. So yes, if you're in downtown Tampa and you got a building 10 feet away, there's no room to put a natural shoreline, so a wall has to be there, right? And if we would have redeveloped all this area with knowledge now, everything would be back 20, 30 feet from the water. You would never build five feet away from the water and put a seawall in because you... Does it drive you crazy that we're still planning development right along the water? Because I don't understand. It's like known flooding zone. I want to ask a question about this too. Well, the community that I that I just moved from, I remember they changed the words wetland to submerged land so oh, that wow. they could develop right in it. Oh, so they just changed it so they could allow that. Because <laughs> it wasn't legal to wow. do it in wetlands, but submerged land, wow. that's a-okay. <laughs> wow. And, you know, it's funny because... Right before the show started, I was talking um, in Safety Harbor where I lived for, you know, the last like seven or so years, but we did, we, there was, I, and I would like to, for you to speak about it because the mayor wanted to put up like a, a, a wall on the shoreline and you were, you and Andy Zadra were very instrumental in getting that change to a living shoreline. I don't know if you want to talk about the Safety Harbor, Harbor project at all. I want to, well, before we go, I want to make sure that we talk about, and you can talk about it any time, about if you do have a seawall, is there a way to plant in front of it to be mm. able to mitigate that damage? So. Okay, that's a great, yeah, seriously. Yeah, and, and the answer for you real quick, Annie, is yes. You can, if you have the right conditions, right? If it's six feet deep, nothing's going to grow there. But right. if you're shallow... Yeah, if you can bring it up, can you make it come up a little bit can. and then shoot the roots in there? And yep. then that's going to stabilize it. So then that would hold it, right? Even right. more. And that's better than, again, the seawall by itself. Okay. But I'm going to go back to Safety Harbor because yes. it's an interesting story from two aspects. First of all, that's a high energy area. There's seven miles of open water fetch from the east. And a lot of these living shorelines I've been involved with are in more quiescent waters. So you need a coastal engineer to make sure that you have the right protection for when we do get those storms, right? Um, so this is an experimental thing. It was high energy to put a living shoreline and take a seawall out. So there was a seawall there. It was dilapidated. The mayor and others are like, just replace it. We must have to have one. There's one there now, right? And so we went to him and said, look, there are other options. We're in the 21st century here. We can try some new things, right? Um, but he was pretty stuck on trying to do that. But there's funding for coming up with this innovation, right? Or innovative And there's no designs. funding for seawalls. See, that's so interesting because that'll get your attention, won't it? And, it, and the one and it thing did. that did, uh, yeah. Money talks, doesn't right. it? And it was good. It worked out really well. And then I would say about less than a year later, we had Hurricane Ida, okay? Two days of relentless up to 70 mile an hour winds coming from the east. And that, after that, I drove out there. I'm like, please, please be, be there. there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it was? It was totally yes. there. Yeah. So it held up. Oh, that's fabulous. So it was a really innovative design. When we say we take the seawall out, we don't rip it out of the ground. We cut it at the mud line yeah. and use that, what's left of the seawall, as a base for either rock or, in this case, oyster bags and then rock. 
Um, so that's a good soil. holding base for that uh, bag of such that right. uh, that will then filter that silt that the silt was going underneath and then washing up and causing the problems. Right? It does help, and, and again, you're cutting it down low, yeah. so you still have room to have a gentle slope. So we put a five to one slope in there, and then. With the plants in there and the oyster bags, getting oysters to grow, and they filter the water. So now we have the protection and those ecosystem services. What's a five-to-one slope? Is that a uh, uh, one-foot, five-inches uh, gradual incline? No, it's one-to-one whatever unit. So one foot for every five foot. Okay. Of, so one foot up in five feet. Got it. And that gives you a nice gentle slope. If you go anything steeper than four-to-one you start having erosions or can have erosion. Yeah, so it can't take that pounding. Yes. Wow, that's very interesting. How's it going over there, Tanya? Uh, oh, <laughs> it's good. I was just reading an email. There's an email came in that says, this man, Rafi, builds these living seawalls in front of of seawalls in my neighborhood in St. Petersburg. So that's interesting. I think that brings up what you were saying, like in front of your regular seawall, like putting... Um, rocks and other structures or Grasses other other beneficials so in front of your established seawall because it's kind of expensive to tear down these seawalls too. So I guess if you mm-hmm. can utilize them and then... Would those last though? Because then they're actually like more submerged in the water. Would... would well, that's a good question. Again, with, uh, what, you, what do you do with the seawall? If you're in a cove where there's no energy, right? You shouldn't have had a seawall anywhere. So it, you really don't need a seawall. Oh, wall, in a right? cove, because okay. the cove's doing a lot of work for you anyway. Yeah. Right. So in those places, you can just leave your seawall up, right? And you can start putting stuff in front of it. And the wall is actually, the rock and, and the plants and stuff you put in, is actually protecting your wall. It's, oh, yeah. It's it, diversifying what's left this, of it. that you know, uh, right. weight. Actually, because you mentioned the oysters and the filtration. And I knew right, like, before and right along... Um, the time that we were installing, because I was up actually volunteered for that project to install, you know, the living shoreline and the Tampa Bay water would come and test the safety harbor areas and it would always test positive for, the high for, for fecal matter in the oh. water. And so does this living shoreline, does it help like the oysters and everything? Does it help filter out a lot of these local contaminants that may be in your water and causing it to be unsafe? Yes, oysters are really good at filtering. They, a single oyster can filter 50 gallons of water a day. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And when you think of the hundreds and thousands of oysters That's that can oyster. grown. Yeah. yeah. Then you get, I mean, I've been to places where the water's kind of dirty and there's a mm-hmm. big oyster field and the water's crystal clear just over wow. that. Right in that location. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so it really does work. You just have to be in the right salinity zone. You can't just put oysters anywhere. They have to be in the right salinity. They like the brackish, don't they? They Is do. That what they're, if it's uh, too salty, no go. too fresh, no it won't go. go. So you have to find that sweet spot. And then with those, another benefit is those oysters grow nine times faster than sea level can. So if you had to break water out of oysters and they're living and the seawall and sea level rise is happening, they'll keep growing. So you have a literally growing wall And Yeah, so that's just what I was thinking. It's like as they're growing up, then they're creating the natural seawall. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It See, seems if like we a just no get brainer. out of the way. Right? I see, yeah, na- nature will just do it. Yeah. Um, why are people still like? I mean, are there local well, communities and municipalities that are still putting up walls? And how involved are you in trying to convince them otherwise? Re-educate. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they've made it harder to just put a wall up now. 
But okay. it does. The, all the walls that are up, a lot of them could be retrofitted, but people don't even know they have an option. They right. finally get enough money or whatever. They buy a house on the water and there's the walls cracking. So who they call is the marine contractors. And so the marine contractors have a tendency to just replace it. So we're going around the state working with IFAS and UF having classes for marine contractors saying this is oh, not that's the way a to go to your industry right this could be a positive an increase to your industry yes. but it would do it would bide well by naturist as a as a uh, coexistence that's right. great and and the one thing i did want to mention all this stuff hey great let's do something we you listen to this program and you mm-hmm. you want to do something the sad part is to get the permits, you need permits to do this, even if you're doing the right thing, right? You want to put a little bit of rock in front of your wall, maybe plant something, well, you need permits. And right now, it's the permits are not easy to get, so it's a disincentive. Is it right? because they don't understand uh, how to permit it? No, I'm sure it's, it's changing in codes, too. Yeah, I'm sure. That's what it really needs. Right now, these rules were written to protect environmental. They'd never thought there's people going to be doing restoration. Right. So there's no really pathway. So it goes through the same pathway. And so that just takes time. And you have to pay permit fees. Now, there is a lot of movement. The federal government, surprisingly, has a new, easier permit they have to make it exempt which makes that easy. The state is making it easier. And even Hillsborough County EPC, they just recently changed their rules to make it easier for living shrines and cut the permit fee in half. Yeah, because that so, would be an incentive for people to want to do that. If it was going to be less expensive, then they're going to be contributing in more and ways. more beneficial, yeah. Absolutely. We're listening to this right now. We're listening to the Sustainable <laughs> Living Show here on WMNF Tampa. Today, we're talking with Tom Reese about living the shorelines and and uh, restorations versus walls along the ocean beds. Um, So if you have any questions, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email and I will read it on air if you're feeling a little shy at dj at wmnf.org. We'd love to hear from you guys. This is a great subject to talk about. Very interesting. So, and you're you're talking about like the differences in in costs and how there's grants. Mm -hmm. Do you have... Like, how much does it cost? Like, what are the differences per, like, linear foot of shoreline when you're when you're talking about building a wall versus having a living shoreline? And then how can those grants, like, how, like how much does the grant cover? Yeah. Right. <laughs> can we get more? <laughs> how do we get some more grants? <laughs> that's right. Well, Tanya, that's a tough question to understand how much. But I, I will say this. I've been doing a lot of these, over 50 so far in the ground. Um not a single one was more expensive than putting up a brand new seawall. Oh, wow. That's great news. So it's less money, so more beneficial for the environment. When, like, when? It just seems like it's a no-brainer. But, but people, just the whole thing about re-education, people don't know. Like you just said, they get this, they save up enough money to get their, their dream house on the water, and they have a seawall there, and it's damaged. That's one of their expenses of refabbing their house, you know. That's just what they do. They call the guy because they have no idea that there's an alternative and that it's the same price or close to it. Are you the only, I mean, because there's people out there that are building seawalls and I'm sure it's, I mean, there's a number of companies because it's a moneymaker. Are you the only guy that's doing living shorelines? No, no, no. It's really transformed in the last five years, especially. First of all, there's a lot more funding for this stuff and we'll get back to your question, Tanya, about funding, but there's a lot more funding for it and, um, 
people are, are starting to want to do it. I will tell you a funny story. I think it was about 12 or 13 years ago, I was asked to speak at the Marine Contractors Luncheon. I was politely asked to leave. Oh, wow. Yeah, that pretty much threw me out because um, they looked at it as a threat. But, but they didn't even hear your story yet. I they asked yeah. you to leave before you even. I mean, you spoke? are terrifying. Yes. I yeah. can understand that. <laughs> I'm the, yeah, I felt that way immediately. I bet him no. That's ridiculous. So did they? But that's did they, Before you even said anything, they asked you to well, leave. Well, the topic. What was like, the topic? Well, I said, you know, the alternatives to living shorelines. You know, they're greener and they're oh and, and they so, just felt like it was going to pull their business out of the water right yeah. they could like why literally there be no yeah. more no more walls but uh. really there's going to still be sea walls and there are unfortunately places where just because the way we've built we're going to have to have some vertical right, wall like there said, but we can close. do better than a wall by itself yeah. and so lately with the classes i'm working with we have marine contractors not only attending but they'll call me afterwards and say look how can you help us we want to do this yeah and so it's 180 not all of oh, them but it's goodness. it's very encouraging that's good Great for news. you that's you're having right. such an impact on the tampa bay seriously that's amazing and you've been we- doing this such a long time that it's just now turning around Around. See, all your hard work is finally coming into fruition. So, so good. It's hard work of many. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Eric sent us a quick email. Oysters, question marks, clams, question mark. Clams. Are they the same thing? No. And are are they both beneficial? Do they both live in the area? Well, they are both bivalves and they both filter, right? But we know a lot more by oysters. And from what I understand, oysters can, can t- handle more volume. Yeah. And so... I would still do the oysters because they can be exposed on low tides. They have advantages where clams have to always be submerged. So not like there's a, not a place for clams. They do provide it natural, obviously, to have them. But if I had to pick, I would do the oysters just because there's a lot more information on them and they're more tolerant to exposure. We, okay. had, uh, we had some people over here uh, that were actually uh, the zoo folk over on the, uh, the East Coast. And they were doing redoing uh, water lines with clams that had died out. And that was because that particular environment was conducive for clams. Okay. And so they were putting them in and they were having a lot of good luck with it. So apparently it isn't the the, the radical change in the water levels and it was the right thing to do there. I was also wondering about scallops because I know scallops used to be here and that was all in the seagrass, right? And then we lost the seagrass and we lost the scallops and then they started replanting and I understood that they were coming back. Is that true or no? No, it is. Tampa Bay has had, used to have scallops naturally all the way to Benti Beach, right? Um, but that's gone, and even though they've seeded millions of them in there, they just haven't taken. But in the last mm-hmm. 10 years, we're finding scallops for the first time near the mouth of Tampa Bay, but we're finding scallops in there. So we want to open it up for harvesting. Right, no way. But oh I God. can tell you, Pasco uh, yeah. County. I that's exactly what we do. We're like, there's some, come get them, instead yeah. of letting them establish there's like ten. a colony. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. You can have eight. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, but just showing you what happened, you know, you could, you could always go scalloping north of Pasco County, but the last few years, they've had so many scallops colonizing or living in Pasco waters that they are now allowing very short window, but you can you can go scalloping in Pasco County, which hasn't happened in a long time. So when we're talking about that, one of the things that I, that the people that I used to work with, they would go searching for all these creatures to eat oysters and scallops or whatever. And like, but because of the fact that they, 
they do filter. They filter all these contaminants. Mm-hmm. And Tampa Bay is so dirty. Oh, they're eating like, it. Are you so you're eating it? Like how safe are the oh, how safe are these to actually eat for the people who are um, like taking them from Tampa Bay. Well, I would be careful. Uh, with, sorry, I don't mean to. Fecal matter, yeah. Uh, right. yeah. <laughs> How much fecal matter are you eating? <laughs> and also, but not only fecal matter, but there's a lot of other contaminants oh, in yeah. the area. Plus, like the, uh, I do want to Gas. talk about herbicides mm. and how the herbicides um, are affecting the grasses too. But I guess that that is. That's a good point. I do want to talk about that. But point. so are the oysters and scallops and clams, are they safe to eat if they do find them in Tampa Bay? Well, it depends where you are in the bay, right? <laughs> if you're near the mouth of the bay, they're probably fine to eat. But if you're in Old Tampa Bay or Hillsborough Bay, the upper portions, I would not eat for those scallops there. And in the state regulates it. You're not allowed to harvest for commercial use or personal consumption oysters in Tampa Bay yet because they know they're polluted. They're, there's still issues with water quality. And the water quality that they would be polluted with, those are the ones that you were talking about are starting to get addressed. And now. we have an yes. email right from yet. David Bryant. He said, oh, he says, it's great to hear us on the air again. Yay. Hey, he says, and how long am I in town? Probably till tomorrow afternoon. So if anybody wants to buy me coffee, I'm here. Yeah, she's going <laughs> to drink a lot of coffee. So much coffee. <laughs> um, but also he said, I remember a few years back that Lee County was banning new dock construction for houses due to environmental concerns and worries about manatees. And there was quite a big backlash from people and different types of people, rich people about it. Has there been a Tampa Bay local ban on new dock construction? Well, I can't speak for all the rules here, but the way it is at the state, if you own property on the water, you have riparian rights. So you can put a dock. Now, they're going to limit it. It can't be this massive thing, right? Because everything covered with the decking is going to shade the bottom or if there could be seagrass there. So again, I'm not one to say we shouldn't have docks, right? Docks are here. They just need to be minimal in size so you can put your boat or whatever you're doing out there um, and you need to get permits for that. So more on a line rather than a deck kind of a thing. So the reducing the deck size because I've noticed that that's what a lot of people were starting to do is they were making a, a short uh, ear and then a long, uh, you know, where they put their boat then they had a huge deck which was their party deck or whatever. So they're not doing those. Oh, look, we have a call. We do. And I just want to remind our listeners that you are listening to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. And today we are talking to Tom Reese about shoreline restoration. And I do want to say we have a caller, Randy from Tampa. Welcome to the Sustainable Living Show. Hi, Randy. You're on the air. Hello. How are you doing today? Great. Good. Good. I got... joined in the middle of the show and I heard him talking about uh, seawalls. I don't want to put a seawall up, but the grass carp on my lake, it's not the ocean. I live on a lake and the grass carp are eating, the, uh, pulling the sand away, under, undermining my uh, land where I mow and uh, it's becoming unstable there. What can I do to stop the sea carp, the grass carp from undermining that uh, yeah. So I don't. I think I hear a Boston accent in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, sure? but that's a good question <laughs> for people who necessarily who aren't on the on the bay, Still but a water are wash. a water, yeah, yeah, water area. If they don't want to put a seawall, how sure. can they? How 
what can they do to um, to stop erosion on their property? Well, these Good principles question. still work in freshwater, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, grass carp will eat submerged vegetation. It sounds like there maybe there's too many carp in this water body. And that's one thing you could maybe fence them off. But what you really are trying to do is it's the emergent grasses, the stuff that sits, stands in the water, not underwater. The grass carp won't eat as much of those or it's harder for them. So if you can plant emergent grasses, native freshwater. There's so many. Luckily, with fresh water, you got probably literally 20 you can pick from. Saltwater is only four. But that would be like reed type things yeah, that are reeds above ground. Yeah, reeds and sagit. I, I want to get it all Sedges. The Sedges, all those um, type plants. Mm-hmm. You just have to pick the right one for some of it can stand in the water all the time. Others can just stand at the edge. But there is a whole variety of plants. I mean, even cattails. Now, cattails can overrun and yeah. I wouldn't plant those. But these are the same type plants. They're growing right at the edge of the water. And those will help filter and hold your bank together. And the carp won't be able to take them down. Where would you get those? I mean, I know that there are native plant nurseries. Would they have them as well? The native plant nurseries would have the water type uh, above ground uh above water uh, growing? Yes, and there are a lot of now, there are a lot of nurseries that sell native emergent wetland plants. So that's the title, emergent wetland plants. Yeah, and so that, okay. that's a whole industry that wasn't here 30 years ago. See? Do we answer your question, Randy? Yeah, that's perfect. I appreciate your help. Thanks. Oh, great. Marvelous. Good. Thanks for the phone call. Yeah, that was good. Good question. And let me see, we have an email from the 727 area code. The he or she said, a real estate market is outdated with newer models of shoreline protection. Uh Seawalls are biological and active and should only be used in certain outdated conditions. View increases property values. And this is a good conversation to make a change with the real estate market. That's a good point is the real estate market and having it be more beneficial because like a more natural this is not in the email. I'm just going off. Yeah. Um, but I'm agreeing. With yeah, you. seriously. I mean, in general, before it was like straight lines, harsh landscape Why? was more popular. But now it seems like like more natives are popping up and are more beneficial in the real estate market. People are responding to native uh, places. Yeah. Now. I mean, there's a lot of native because uh, well, it groups brings birds and like all these other creatures. Right. Wildlife. And what it's fun mm-hmm. to see like native things in your it yard. Being like, look at this creature. Right. All I love these you. birds. It's wonderful. And it says vegetation is not. Presented as an asset, as science and facts conclude. Yes. So, would you agree with that? Yeah, and I think there's this aesthetic value, right? Absolutely. I mean, and maybe for some people, they like that hard grass and wall look. Mm-hmm. Um, but aesthetically, and, and it, there's some research showing that the value of your property goes up if you have a natural shoreline because of the yeah. view shed. And remember, we were talking about mangroves and view shed. Well, if you do it right, you can plant a mixture of red and blacks and you can let the blacks grow up and window in between and you can make it really look nice. It's not stagnant. Like I feel right. like when you look at these shorelines and you look at these like harshly manicured lawns and it's just so stagnant, you're getting the same thing. And then randomly when you see native yard, you're like seeing birds and butterflies and all these creatures that you aren't necessarily seeing and everywhere else. One of the other things about that, when you bring up the aesthetic, because I'm a garden designer, I mean, that's what I do. You know what I mean? And so for me, that's very important is that when you bring in whatever natives or edibles or anything, if you bring it in in a beautiful way, then it's more 
palatable to more people. Yeah. And when they start to see what you just said, like instead, when people say mangrove, they think of this one big mass of stuff. But if you can do diversification in the style, the way that you're laying it out there, you're going to see beauty. You're going to get the the uh, holding of the soil and you're going to get all the wildlife. But you just need to do it in the right way. In a way that's pleasing. Exactly. It's true. You know, it's funny because a lot of the times me and Annie would talk about yes. like gardeners and gardeners have a tendency to be you know, not really care in Sometimes general. they overplant. They and, overplant or they uh-huh. don't pay attention or whatever. But like there's this middle ground compromise right. bef- between like having a well-designed yard and also having it be beneficial exactly. to you and the environment. Like, like we have always, both of us have always had a lot of um, uh, edible food and, and um, native plants and different things like that in our gardens. We're our equally yard. amazing. We are. We are. We say it. We'll, we'll both tell each other we are. So that's okay. <laughs> but the thing is, is that it was done in such a beautiful way that people enjoyed it and loved it and they loved the look. So we were still getting the benefits of all of that, but we did it in a way that the neighborhood (laughs) weren't coming at us with, you know, fire and and brimstone. Well, you know what? It's funny though, because I sold two houses in Tampa Tampa Bay after edibly landscaping, natively landscaping my yard. Because they were interested. And I got fat money. Yeah. I got, I mean, literally people were paying extra and then wanted a tour of my yard to make sure that they could continue doing this. And like people are, are, are they're catching on. It's interesting because you said that because, you know, I had a real estate agent and she wanted me to take everything out. And all of a sudden I started thinking about it. I was like, well, I would want the benefit of having yeah. these things already. So now I have somebody. You just got to find the market. I have the, the right person. There you now. go. All and right. So, congratulations. Yeah. Tom, you, you said you wanted to say something. Well, I was just going to add two things here. One, when you put these native plants in down at the water's edge, and then it turns into a living shoreline below right. that. But that filters out some of the nutrients that you're or people put on their lawn, From the right? grass, yeah. And so that really helps the water quality. So that there's a double benefit, the aesthetics and the water quality potential. And the other point I want to say, you know, we're, we're targeting commercial um, contractors. And our next thing to target, I think, is real, um, real estate agents. Yes, I think that's a great Because they're experts, idea. right? When you're being showed a house, mm-hmm. you can ask them 20 things and they're supposed to know answers. Mm-hmm. If they knew, hey, yeah, that wall looks bad, but you know what? You might not have to repair that, that wall at $1,000 a linear foot. You know, that should be an offer. Uh, that just what you like, you're teaching these guys that are doing the shorelines. That should totally be, I'm going to tell all my real estate people about this. Marvelous. Yeah. You're listening to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF Tampa. Today we are talking with Tom Reese about shoreline restoration. If you have um, if you have a question, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org. Speaking of which, we have Jimmy from St. Pete. Thank well, you for being so patient. <laughs> we went off. Welcome to the show, Jimmy. Yeah, that's okay. I like listening to you all talk. Um. I was just wondering, Tom, do you um, experience any resistance from, like, condo owners or homeowners? Because everybody wants the beach instead of mangroves. And um, I would, you, you, you were talking about some kind of, just recently, but I think if there's any incentives for a homeowner or a condo to um, revitalize the environment instead of, um, trying to make a beach, you know, like they get tax incentives for electric cars, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anyway, 
And Jimmy, that's a good question. And I, we kind of touched on that earlier about funding the things. So yeah. there is funding. Okay, there is actually a lot of funding, millions of dollars the state's putting out. Now, that's being targeted for public entities, public property, cities, counties, and that's great, right? We need to do those, right? But the nonprofit I started 20 years ago was on the premise of public-private partnerships. Even if we restore all the 22% about that's publicly owned, that's not moving the needle, Right. We really want to make a difference. We need to work on private property. And why can't we use public dollars on private property? Well, we can. Our, our nonprofit has been very successful in getting federal and state money to, used on private property. Now, there's strings attached. That re- restoration or thing that you did has to be put under a conservation easement. So somebody in the future doesn't say, what's this? I'm paving it, so to speak. Oh, can you explain right. a conserva- conservation easement? Because that is... Um, really important that for the really future. Is. Yeah. Glad you do. brought that up. And we do have another one hold, another person holding. Um but I do want you to explain that. Yes. Really fast. Yeah, thanks Tom and um I'm a graduate USF and I are you familiar with uh, Thomas Gillespie? He's my biogeography teacher. I've known I know the name but I don't know yeah. him that well. Okay, thank you for everything you do improving our environment. Thank you for thanks, calling Jim. in. That was very sweet. Go ahead. What were we going to say first? We're, oh, we're talking about the funding? Oh, yes. Okay, so with with this funding here and the conservation easement, the conservation easement is just a, a legal document that says that strip of land along the shore that you just restored, making a living shoreline, has to stay a living shoreline, mm-hmm. and you have to maintain it. That's it. It doesn't encumber you, your you whole property. It, right? Well, it the next person, that, it protects it. That nurse, next person can't change it if they buy the land. Exactly. Right. right. Now, how do you maintain it? I mean, that could be, like you said, strings. Is that a lot of strings? Well, how do you maintain it? You maintain oh. the living shoreline. Yes. Um, well, that's a really good question because. Seawalls are the hardest, the strongest the day they put in, and they get weaker. Living shorelines are super weak when you put them in. They're plants. Oh, yes. And so you need to go in there. There's no planting I've ever did where we have 100% survival. So you need to go in there and augment plants, do a little maintenance. But as time goes on, it becomes truly resilient and self-sustaining. Oh, that's right. That makes sense. I do want to say we have a bunch of emails. And and, um, Eden from Oldsmar is on hold. So we are close to getting to the end of the show. Yeah, so, so we're, we're going to rush do a through speed all these. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Eden, welcome to the Sustainable Living Show. Thank you. Uh, great subject matter this morning. Great. I grew up in Pinellas County and can remember when there were scallops in Tampa Bay that you were willing to eat. So uh, got a lot of work to do there. But I wanted to mention your focus on natives, I think, is great. And what I tell people is because sometimes they'll complain, oh, well, natives are. They're still much more expensive than plants in the box stores. Mm. I tell them that's true, but it's a non-recurring cost because native plants, in my experience, in my landscape, once they're established, they need a whole lot less babysitting, Mm -hmm. less water, less fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Um, They're kind of on their own. So in the long run, they are a much more economical option for shoreline, uh, seawall replacement, or just in your, your landscape even if you aren't on the water. A lot of times the stuff in the big box stores, too, are so chemically treated that unless they're maintained with that chemical treatment, they can't, uh, you know, they're not as vigorous. And they're also, a lot of them are annuals, so that means they're just a one-shot shot. Exactly. I mean, they're they're pumped up on steroids. (laughs) And so people will buy them. And, And 
box stores love to sell things that die within a year because yeah. then you're going to come there it, and buy more. Yeah, with, you have to go back. With, Good point. Yeah, with, with natives, you get a lot more bang for the buck. Yes. So, well, well, that's great. Thanks for calling. Great job. Appreciate it. Yeah, Keep thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you. And you're listening to The Sustainable Show here on WMNF Tampa. Today we are talking Living Shorelines with Tom Reese. If you have any questions, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or email me at dj at wmnf.org. Emails? Oh, we got emails. All right. Let's see what we got. We got the speed round. We got like minutes to go. Oh, gosh. Seriously. Okay. So somebody from the 904 area code said mangroves walk and far from stagnant. The Seminoles called them that. To see the colors and deciduous leaves it's nature's buffer less mangroves means less healthy water yep um and then tom uh this is from cheryl she says it's an important show can you speak about the unintended consequences that may occur adjacent to living shorelines um tbw put in a living shoreline at lassen's park reef balls oyster bags marsh grasses it worked wonderfully to stop the erosion but now has um accelerated erosion in the adjacent adjacent feature oh Um, wow because it's it's a clean it's washing out in the second area yeah and then bubba says i like to think that oysters are getting revenge on greedy humans when they are eaten (laughs) raw and make us sick (laughs) that is that that's hilarious um and then let me see and then Susan um, said that they have a history of giving grants to nonprofits and local neighborhood communities to want to replant with replant with native plants. Um, so she sent a link that we can post probably on the Facebook page a little bit later. Okay. Um, so what do you? Oh, you know what? We have a caller. We only have a few more minutes, so let's take the call real quick. All right, Richard, welcome to the Sustainable Living Show. Hey, Richard, it's like the end of the show, so go. Hi, guys. I just want to follow up. Uh, 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 the gentleman before me was talking about native plants, and I so agree they're great to the landscape. One thing that that mine do is they reseed. If you've got a native plant, you'll be giving plants away to friends and family. I've got uh, beach sunflower, shiny leaf wild coffee, uh, Simpson stoppers. They just keep coming up. Yeah, so they do. You've got a lot of the natives. Uh, you'll all, never buy another one. They all the salvias, too. Boy, those are wonderful. Thank you. Yes, they're great Great, great, great uh, plants. We just want to remind people, get the natives and you'll never buy another one again. And you're going to be feeding wildlife, too. Thank you very much. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Thank you for the call. All right. I'd like to ad- address the one about lasting Park. Please do. We only have a couple of minutes, but absolutely. All right. And you got, got to end somewhere with your living shoreline, right? There's a terminal end to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to start thinking about that. If you put in a breakwater, it sounds like they put oyster domes and stuff in there. At the terminal ends, the water trying to go underwater, under past them will scour and they'll have effects on the neighboring property. Mm-hmm. And so what you need to do, that's why a coastal engineer is so important. You need to st- start bringing, instead of just stopping with whatever it is, you need to bring smaller features and smaller features. Like oasis is around yeah, it. Yeah. Right, on the terminal ends so that the water doesn't scour along its corners. And so I don't think that was done. Um, and even when we did Ulele, you know, we cut the seawall open, right? Well, you can't just cut it open. There's the seawalls are now weak on either end. So we had to put wing walls to keep the rest of the wall up. So let's say you're living in a a place where there's a seawall and you're the only person you're going to take one out. Well, you want to do it inside your property and you want to make sure you help hold the wall up 
either with rock or wing walls of your neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing whether it's in the water. The terminal ends are important to consider. That's really interesting because I would imagine that that's part of the whole installation. When somebody's doing that install, they didn't do the install correctly, apparently. Well, it wasn't designed properly with that consideration. Right. And then the contractor should build what the engineer came up with on the plan. Right. And wouldn't all engineers uh, say that? I mean, that seems like a definite... Well, that's the thing. That's why you really want to get a coastal engineer. I mean, civil yeah. engineers can sign and seal things. But oh, I how see. much ex- experience do they have with these type features? So. Right, right. That's when all this newness is coming in to yeah. where they are really not as qualified, but they are in position to do it. Got it. That makes sense. And I do want to, um, we're, we're the last like two minutes of the show. Um, I do want to, you to touch a little bit about how herbicide, spraying your yard with herbicide affects um, before we say goodbye. Yeah. Well, the her- herbicides are very effective, right? They're going to kill plants, yeah. right? And if you, Everywhere. If, exactly. <laughs> and so if you overspray, um, any overspray can kill whatever. Or any spray is going to flood over there, right? Right. And then if it gets in the water, mm. it's still trying to kill plants. And right. that include can be seagrass. It even can include any sort of plant that's living in the water that has cell walls because herbicides focus on cell walls. And so you have to be very careful. And it's easy to overdo it or not realize that there's some wind blowing and you're getting this um, non-target kills. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because, you know, I think that when people do use pesticides, they're only thinking about themselves and their their little specific spot, and they don't think about how it's going to be affecting. And that might even be at a, been a real big point uh, with the seagrass. Well, you know, they said a lot of the times, because the manatees eat the seagrass, and all those manatees that have been dying, they're testing positive for herbicides. Wow. Which, I mean, not only so it's not only killing the seagrasses, but it's also killing the local creatures. Yeah. So Sean Canaan wants uh, to remind everybody that on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, we will be talking about two important issues for Florida's environment, water and development. An effort to get a water referendum on Florida's ballot next year has fallen short, but we'll speak to organizers about their plan to get the right to clean water amendment on the 2026 ballot instead. Plus, we hear about efforts to stop a proposed development in prime Florida panther habitat along the Florida Wildlife Corridor in Culinary County. Okay. That is what's coming up on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe at 10 o'clock in the morning. Man, we got a little bit to go. Thank you, Irene, for taking the calls and Mr. Bill Grace for working the boards. If you enjoy this show and our weekly content, go to WMNF.org, donating through our donation jar and directing your donation to Sustainable Living Show. Stay tuned. In the next hour, you'll hear WMNF Community Speak with Mabili. Make sure to turn in next Monday. We'll have Amanda Pike talking about transforming Florida yards. Follow our Facebook page and go to Listen On Demand if you want to hear this show. I'm Annie Ellis and Tanya Vitovic. And remember, <laughs> if you were looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. And then I do want to say, do you have a contact information just yes. in case anybody wants to either volunteer or get some native plants like how or What's questions about grants? What's the number? or ecosphererestoration.org. Awesome. Thank you. WMNF, Tampa. 88.5 FM.